listening to this message brought to you by Living Word Church. We trust that as you hear the Word of God preached, you'll be encouraged and equipped to love God and do His will. If you're looking for a church home, please feel free to visit our Sunday morning worship service at 10 a.m. or visit our website at www.livingwordchurch.cc. And now for our message. Great. Good morning, everybody. We're in business. Woohoo! Technology, right? We love it. Ian did me a, uh, a justice there because the truth is I'd just given my life to Jesus that weekend uh, and I was friends with his son, Ben. And uh, Ian was one of the first families to leave the site. We were on a big campsite in a field in England. And I was so excited and so filled with the spirit that I actually jumped in front of his car to stop him leaving the campsite. I couldn't wait for the next week. I had to have more that weekend. Uh, Luckily, Ian was quite quick on the brakes, and that's why I'm still here. But that's right, I'm Ricky. Um, Originally, I'm from a a town in uh, England called Bristol. So if you look at the triangle that is England, you have London in the southeast, you have Bristol in the southwest. That's why I have an accent that may need translating into English. I am trying my very best. But Ian is the epitome of how the English language should be spoken, Me, not so much so. So apologies if you can't understand everything that I say. Uh, But I bring you uh, warm greetings from the UK. Uh, In fact, just before I came, we had a uh, a Holy Spirit conference in Basildon. Praise the Lord. A couple of people gave their lives to Jesus. We saw some healings and we saw some restorations. But I'd invited a guy from Holland. I understand there's lots of Dutch people in this area, so I thought I'd mention it. Uh, And he sends his greetings all the way from Holland. Uh, and he wants to be with you at some point in the future. His name's Raj, great guy. Uh, it's a shame not to have Dave with us today because Dave is a, um, a friend of mine that has grown over the last couple of years. We first met in the UK. We met here when I came to visit. Uh, most recently, we were in Mongolia on mission together. Uh, the highlight was the, uh, the Mongolian ice cream uh, from Russia. It's not, it's not so good, guys. American ice cream is a lot better. Um, <laughs> And I think the low light was that Dave is, is, is a hard-working man, and at the end of every night, he would, we would have a conversation. We were, we were bunking down, keep costs down, so we were sharing the same room. Uh, and every night, without fail, Dave would fall asleep halfway through a sentence. So uh, always leave him wanting more, right? Let me, um, can we pray before we get going? Is that okay? Lord, we worship you. We love you. And everything we do, we long to get to know you better. Thank you that it is done. It's finished. We know we have the victory. And we proclaim it and we claim it in Jesus' name. Thank you for all that you've already forgiven our sins. Open your word to us today. Let us live our lives in a transformed way. Let us turn our hearts back to you. Jesus, we love you. Amen. I have the privilege of introducing your new theme, right? I didn't know I was doing this, but we're starting a new theme called Jesus Replied. No, we're not. What's it called? I've written the wrong thing. What was the name of your new theme? I know what it is. There you go. With all your heart. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and all your mind. Matthew 22, 37. I found this out a few days before I flew to America, so let's call that last Monday. But about a month ago, I was praying for coming to America, and I hadn't received any invitation to speak other than I knew I would probably come and visit some of the youth groups. And the Lord spoke to me about the restorative love of Jesus. So I thought I would write a sermon 
on the restorative love of Jesus just in case. Dave sent me an email with a, an itinerary, a small itinerary. It's been brilliant. I came here really for the conference, but part of the itinerary was we're going to start a new series. It's the start of Lent. We're going to be building up to Easter. It would be good if we could talk about repentance and the love of God and the restorative love of Jesus. I don't think he used the exact word, but it was so close that I knew that that word was for you. Let me confess my sins. It was such a powerful word that I had to first deliver an element of it in my own church. It moved me. It moved me. It was such a strong message. So whenever you go to a new church, I'm told this in Bible college, you, uh, you always keep it light and airy. Go for the good topics. Revival, okay, Jesus loves you. Uh, today, we're going to do that. We're going to go for repentance. Because that's always, that's always a nice, light subject, right? Um, I'm going to start, actually, I'm going to do this in the reverse order to what I... Uh, I planned, please, I'm not texting. I'm just having a bit of a technology meltdown, so some of my notes are on here, some of them are on here. Can I first start by giving you um, a partial explanation of what repentance is? It's from the dictionaries, from the English Oxford Dictionary. Sorry, Ian, they don't do a Cambridge Dictionary, I don't think. Um, but an English Oxford Dictionary. And it says, repentance is a noun. The action of repenting, sincere regret or remorse. Says the explanation of this is remorse, contrition, contriteness, penitence, sorrow, sorrowfulness, regret, ruefulness, remorsefulness, shame, guilt, self-reproach, self-condemnation. It's sad that we read the word of God through our understanding of the English language. Because when we read our Bible, especially as a young people uh, do so, I was a youth pastor for seven years. And to be honest with you, even though my job is no longer a youth pastor, I'm a, I'm a pastor pastor. I don't know if there's a word for that. <laughs> I'm still a youth pastor. God doesn't change your heart because he changes your job title. I still love young people. And I read these things through their eyes sometimes and think, wow, when I read the word repent, 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 I'm thinking shame guilt, self-condemnation, remorse, contrition. Not only are we doing the word of God an injustice, our young people are doing themselves an injustice too. When you study, one of the first things they tell you when you reference things in your, in your books, you're not allowed in the UK, I don't know if it's different here, you're not allowed to reference Wikipedia. I am not a scholar. I don't care. <laughs> I'm going to reference Wikipedia. Because it just takes us one step maybe a little bit closer to what repentance in the Bible actually means. It says, repentance is the activity of reviewing one's actions. Okay, some similarities. with feeling of contrition or regret for past wrongs, which is accompanied by commitment to change for the better. Today, it is generally seen as involving a commitment to personal change, and the resolve to live a more responsible and humane life. In other words, being sorry for one's misdeeds, but it can also involve sorrow over a specific sin or series of sins that an individual feels he or she has committed. There's a whole load of stuff on Wikipedia, but I thought that took us a little step closer than the dictionary definition. 
doesn't take us all the way. When Jesus talks of repentance, when we read about repentance in the gospel messages, there's a whole load of stuff about repentance in the Old Testament and the rest of the New Testament, but today I want to focus on the gospels and what Jesus talks to us about repentance. There is an element of that sorrowfulness and forgiveness of, Lord, I have sinned, forgive me. There is definitely an element of that within repentance, but repentance is so much more than you just saying sorry for your sins and God saying, okay, today you have a clean slate. We start again tomorrow. Repentance is about you turning your eyes from what you're looking at back to Jesus. Lord, I am sorry for my sins, but I'm going to turn and look at you. It's an injustice. Today I'm going to read through through Titus 3, 3 to 8. I think we're going to have the words on the screen if I've managed to get Dave to send the notes through, okay? There's a screen there, that's helpful. Maybe not. Titus 3, 3 to 8. If you have your Bibles with us, you can just turn to those. If you're young and like me and you do it on your phone, thank you. You could pick up the uh, deepening voice. If you have your phone, make sure you don't check Facebook first. I know it's tempting, but I won't take too long, I promise. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things that we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and the renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying. And I want to stress these things to you so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everybody. I love that. The way it starts, it says, at one time, we were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved. For me, that can be uh, my testimony when I was young, just before I met Ian, because I was certainly all of those things, but I'd be lying to you if I told you today that I wasn't those things anymore. I think I woke up like that this morning. I had to turn my eyes back to Jesus today. I have a suspicion that that won't even be the end of my story for today. I suspect that by the end of the day, I'm going to need to turn my eyes back to him again. Repentance is not just asking for forgiveness for your sins. And it's not just turning your eyes to Jesus. Otherwise, the day you became saved, the day you gave your life to Jesus, that would have been the end of the story, right guys? It's not. It's a continual turning your eyes back to Jesus. The difference was salvation. Mark 16, 16 says, believe and be baptized. It started with salvation. Peter described it in Acts as repent and be baptized. In that context, he means water and spirit. We know that when we're saved, that we are filled with the Holy Spirit. I love that. The day you gave your life to Jesus. I get it. 
we sometimes pray for people to be filled with the Spirit. There's nothing wrong with that. It's not heresy. But you are filled with the Spirit the day you gave your life to Jesus. We can be refilled. We're hard done by with the English language. We don't have the words always to describe what the meanings of some of this is. It's why you often hear very clever preachers, which I am not, referencing Hebrew and Greek words that no one can pronounce. Be filled and continue to be filled would be a closer definition. Turn your eyes back to Jesus and continue to turn your eyes back to Jesus would be a better definition. It talks about grace and it talks about mercy. I find some of the cleverest things I say from from this position are not my words but someone else's. I hear clever preachers, wordy people. They come up with great things. This was revolutionary to me. Think about it like this. Grace is to receive something that you do not deserve. We don't deserve this. We didn't deserve to have Jesus die for us on the cross and wipe out all sin. We didn't deserve what he gave us. We still don't today. But through his grace, we can receive it. Mercy. If grace is to receive something we do not deserve, mercy is to not receive something that we do deserve. Just let that sink in. Grace is to receive something that we don't deserve. Mercy is to not receive something that we do. Recently, I listened to a guy, Ian will know this guy, he's, I don't think he's traveled across here, a guy called Ian Tunningley, Daryl Tunningley, right? Daryl Tunningley, an ex-prisoner, an armed robber, profound guy, excellent church leader now. Uh, I follow him on Facebook. He was uh, arrested, he was sent to prison, angry young guy, we all know those testimonies, right? You can find them all over YouTube. But, you know, he got imprisoned. He got saved. Um, if you want to research him, go online. But I was on his, I was on his Facebook page recently. And do you remember the, um, the little bracelets we gave to all of our kids hoping it would save them called WWJD? <clears throat> I was a youth leader for seven years. It didn't stop anyone. Turned them inside out, took them off, completely ignored them. It's a great concept, okay? It's a great idea. No one sue me, please. Um, It was a great encouragement. And I'm sure to some it genuinely helped them. I'm sure it did. But I was on his Facebook page and he he hashtagged something because, you know, he's cool. Um, And he hashtagged WWJU. And I thought, oh, mate, you've got it wrong. It's WWJD. Any Christian who's been a Christian more than five minutes knows that. But then I thought, hang on, he's got a a lot of followers on Facebook and Twitter. Perhaps if he got it wrong, other people would have said it. Perhaps I'm being a bit silly. So I went online and I I typed in WWJU. And it doesn't replace WWJD. It's a different different question. It's what would Jesus undo? It's one of those words, one of those phrases. You kind of have to think about that for a minute. What would Jesus do that's helping us lead our lives in a more kind of Christian, pure way and more the way that Jesus said it? Intended for us, right? WWJU is more about his grace and his mercy. I don't know very many of you. It's been a pleasure to get to know some of you. Um, some of you have got great senses of humor. That's good. 
Me too, I think. Uh, <laughs> maybe not. Uh, so I don't know what's going on in your lives. I don't know all of your stories. I know some of your stories. Some of you have incredible stories of where God broke into your life and you were saved. Some of the most amazing stories is when, uh, why do Christians do this? They preface it with, well, I was raised in a Christian home, so I don't really have a Christian testimony. Let me tell you, it's the most amazing testimony you can have. Jesus loved you so much that from the moment you were born, you were in the palm of his hand and he protected you and he gave you everything you needed. He gave you the life so that you could minister in his name. It wasn't by accident he loved you. Even you, let's say you've been a Christian your whole life, will have something that Jesus needs to undo in your life. And I think today we can maybe have that as a takeaway point. What would Jesus undo? Uh, if there's any royalties to Daryl Tunningley, I'm going to send them to Living Word Chicago. Is that okay? Living Word Basildon. Don't really care about these things. I was listening to something else <coughs> along the similar subject. He said, God is not a God of second chances. I immediately pressed pause and went, heresy, who am I listening to? God is not a God of second chances. The problem is, as I agree with him now, because God is not a God of second chances. God is a God of second chances, third chances, fourth chances, fifth chances, sixth chances, seventh chances, eighth chances. When I finish that, I'll let you know how many I got to. For me, God's second chance was just before I met Ian. Beautiful, I had no idea he was going to mention that today, but it fits. Ian never knew me before, and, and to be fair, we didn't really get to know each other for quite some time after that either, but the moment I became a Christian, I had been kicked out of school, um, end of high school, you know, just before you do your exams for us, it's GCSEs, I don't know what that is over here, uh, but it means you've ruined your future. If you get kicked out before your exams, you can't go do nothing else. <clears throat> I've been arrested a couple of times, nothing serious, you know, a bit of drunken disorderly, a bit of fighting, um, but still, it's tough. When I was five, uh, my mum had become a Christian and taken me to a big conference, very much like this, full of people, lovely people. And the guy preaching from the front, first time I'd ever heard it, and I've not heard many since, but a full name prophecy, stood at the front and said, I want to speak, don't laugh, to Richard Harvey. Ricky's short for Richard, okay? Do not call me Richard. Only my mum gets to call me that when I'm being naughty. But it was a full name prophecy. I want to speak to Richard Harvey. And this guy prophesied over me. He said he's going to be a mighty man of God and a leader of men. How many of you are mums out there? You carry that prophecy for your children as you're stood outside the school collecting the paperwork of expulsion. I'm not a mum. I'm not even a dad. I can't really understand how that feels. You're carrying that prophecy for your son as you're stood outside the police station waiting to pick him up again. That cry that she must have had to Jesus going, what are you doing? I went to the army. I'm going to be really real with you for a second. I don't normally do this when I visit people for the first time, but at 16 years old, I wanted to die. I'd been dragged up in church and I knew that suicide was a bad thing. I knew that suicide would break my mother's heart. So I had to figure out a, a better way to die. And uh, things were kicking off politically at that time. 
And I figured a good way to do that, an honorable way to do that, would be to join the army. I'm not talking about pacifism here. I'm not even going to get into the politics of that. I don't care where you stand on that issue. It's where my heart was at at the time. I was an angry young man. I'd ruined my life. I had a sticky home life too. I wanted to die. I'd gone through for the training. I got accepted, top of the class, the fittest, the strongest, the most intelligent, best looking, you know. <laughs> it didn't do my ego any good, but I was in. And I thought, this is great, actually, because even if, even if the worst doesn't happen, or for me, the best doesn't happen, at least it'll give me some order to my life. It'll give me a sense of purpose that I just didn't have before. So just as the, the school year came to the end, remember, I wasn't in school at that time, so I was still working. All my friends were getting their letters to say, okay, you're accepted into this college, or you're accepted into this apprenticeship. I don't know if you have, you know, kind of like work-based training. I was waiting for my letter from the army to say, you have to go to this place to accept your training, to accept your uniform. And the letter came, but when I opened it, it didn't tell me where I needed to go. It told me that they'd made a mistake and that I wasn't accepted. Top of the class. Rejected. Something to do with a knee injury, it's not important why. But actually, as this angry young man who thought he knew absolutely everything, and still did until he was about 25, um, I was lost. For the first time in my kind of adult life, you're not really an adult at 16, but you know, are we? I thought I'd wind you up with that one. Didn't work. <laughs> There's a whole load of 17s in here now that are gonna get really angry with me. I'm sorry, I'm joking. But for the first time in my life, I was genuinely lost. And my mum, who had been told, the church doesn't exist anymore, so I can say this. My mum, who had been told by the elders of the church, by her home group and all of her friends, to kick me out and make me homeless. My mum refused. She said, he might be the worst human being on the planet. I don't like him, but I love him. She let me stay. It wasn't a great environment for her, and for that I repent every day I love her. <clears throat> she invited me to this thing called family camp. She knew from my childhood that I loved camping, okay? Family camp. Do you guys have family camp here? What an experience. And the rules were I had to come to family camp and I had to um, <clears throat> not chat up any Christian girls because I'd be a bad influence on them. I wasn't allowed to do all the things that I would normally do. Cigarettes, alcohol, all that kind of stuff. And that's even worse for you guys, right? Because you have different age limits for those things. Um, and I had to go to one meeting. And I went with all the wrong intentions because I knew exactly what I was going there for. I was going there to corrupt and destroy and just generally have a whale of a time, completely self-centered, completely inwardly looking. That was my objective. Uh, that was my objective. It wasn't God's. Because I went to the first meeting, young people, cover your ears. When you go to a conference, if you have to go to one meeting, go to the first one. It's always notices. There's no heavy preaching on the first night. This is bedtime. This is where you have to go. This is where you're not allowed to go. So I went to the first meeting. And the only part of my testimony that I can't genuinely tell you why I did what I did was, as I walked in, there was a song playing, Holy Spirit, Rain Down, Rain Down on Me. And I decided I would sing it. I had no faith at all. But I sang that song and the Holy Spirit filled me from the top of my head to the tip of my toes. And for the first time in my life, I repented of my sins. I didn't really know what that meant. 
I was signing a check I couldn't cash at that point because I didn't want to give up some of those things that I was doing. In fact, it was another 15 years until I stopped smoking, for example. It was another 10 years before I stopped drinking to excess. No problem having a beer every now and again. In fact, to be honest with you, if you smoke, don't feel condemned by that comment, okay? But to have a couple of beers is okay. To drink yourself to the point of vomiting in the middle of a high street, you're completely out of control. It took me 10 years to get to that point. You'll be pleased to know I wasn't a youth leader at that point. <laughs> I know some youth leaders like that. It took a long time. I, I signed a check I didn't know how to cash, but it was the best day of my life. Best weekend of my life. I was filled with the Spirit, and I turned my eyes to Jesus for the first time. And I've had to do that. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> But that's awesome, right? That's the end of the story. Teenagers, that's fine. Just give your life to Jesus. Do that thing. You come forward. 10% of your income every month in the offering basket, and we're all good, right? Afraid not. Life gets tough. Life gets really tough. You're going to make really bad choices. Other people are going to make really bad choices that affect you, and you have no control over those things at all. You're going to wake up in a bad mood. You're going to wake up tired. You're going to say things you regret later. I'm not condemning you. It's just life. Life is hard. And it's not perfect. If we continue to repent, strong word, but remember what it means. We're just going to turn our eyes back to Jesus. I am sorry for my sins. Forgive me. We know he's won it. He's done it. It's finished. Right? It's finished. We win. We know that. It's crazy. You go through a tough time in your life and you start off every prayer with, thank you, Jesus, for giving us the victory. Now tell us how to go and claim it. We know we've won it. We just don't see it yet. But we have faith for it. So we all get really judgmental on ourselves, right? We're good for time, right? Okay. We get really self-condemnation. Hey, I'm not, I told you I'm not a scholar, right? I don't know the word for that. But we condemn ourselves all the time because we fell short again. I do that. Maybe you don't. Maybe you're better than me. But you want to see some really great examples in the Bible of really bad examples. Wouldn't it be much easier if, the past, if we had the best pastor in the world? I'm sure you guys do, actually. And he's not even here, so that's not hot wind. He's a great guy. Maybe if we had the best worship leader. Maybe if the church was just a little bit bigger. Maybe if the offering was a little bit more generous. Maybe if I had been brought up in a Christian home. Maybe if all my friends were Christians. Maybe if I just got that promotion and had that better job. Do you do that? Maybe my life might just be that little bit easier. Think about three guys that walked around with Jesus. They had the best upbringing. Okay, they, had, they were manual laborers. They were fishermen. They were doing other stuff. And Jesus came along and gave them the best possible discipleship program you can think of. He was the best youth leader, the best pastor, the best worship leader, the Bible college lecturer. And he didn't just do like two hours a day teaching. your certificate at the end. He lived with these guys for three solid years. And they still fell short. Thomas doubted. Have you ever thought about that? When, when we see the Lord's Prayer, I don't know exactly which, uh, which translation you, you have here, but forgive us our debts and, those, and our debtors, right? That bit? Sometimes it's translated, forgive us our sins and those who have sinned against us. We know that one, so we can forgive those that sin against us. 
when you read the translation about forgive us our debts, it kind of makes you think a little bit more about what you haven't done, not just what you have. Did you know that some of your sin is actually some of the things you haven't done? Maybe God has instructed you to do something, to love somebody, to help somebody, to do a certain thing, be a certain place, make a certain decision, and you didn't do it. Changed my life when I saw that. Changed my life. Because I think sin is the stuff you do, right? The bad decisions you make. Thomas doubted. Thomas's sin was what he didn't do. Peter didn't trust Jesus. Ever see that before? Jesus has said, this has got to happen. The guards come, Peter gets angry, chops off his ear, right? We remember the story now. Jesus says he's in control, he's in control. Remember that conference I had just before I came here? We'd invited 200 people, we'd laid out 150 chairs, and I was expecting that those people would turn up, because he's a great speaker, right? And the Holy Spirit's coming. And at the start of the event, when 20 people were in that hall, my heart broke. We'd invested a lot of time and a lot of money in this thing, and no one bothered to show up. Now, interestingly, you know, as we do in Western churches, right, within 15 minutes there was twice as many there, but still nowhere near my expectation. So for the first 15 minutes of worship, I repented. I caught it. I don't always catch it, but on this occasion I caught it. I said, Jesus, my heart's wrong. Because I had an expectation of what this thing was going to look like, and because it doesn't look that way, I got angry, I got upset, I got disappointed. But when Jesus, I tell you, I trust you, I trust you. So whoever's here is meant to be here. And you know the fruit of that, okay? A couple of people got saved. Almost everyone that was there responded at some point, came to the front. We were there for ages. We had to bring in all the elders to pray for them. So do you want 200 people that come for a nice day out, or do you want 10 people that respond and their lives are changed forever? I'll take the letter. Thank you very much. Think about Judas. He was there, guys. He was there. Three years. He was also there when Jesus told them that you will betray me. Now, I don't want to just leave that there because that's a little bit shallow. Remember, there's two references to the fact that Satan entered him at that point. So when Jesus gave him the bread, Satan entered him. So that's not entirely Judas's fault. Okay, He was overpowered in some way, but he was there. Here are three people that lived their whole ministry, their whole life, their whole Bible college years. They didn't go to Visible. They didn't go to the Bible College of Wales. They were direct contact with Jesus, and they still fell short. With the exception of Judas, they all turned their eyes back to Jesus and became the fathers of our faith, right? Not a God of second chances. Not of third or fourth or fifth or sixth, but of continual chances if we continually repent. I had a whole load of other stuff I wanted to share, but <clears throat> time got away from us. I want to tell you one story, and it's in Luke 8, 43 to 48, and it's not going to go where you think it's going to go. Well, the story hasn't changed. The emphasis may not be the traditional one. Luke 8, 43 to 48. And then if you don't mind, whilst just watch your turn now, I'm going to explain what's going to happen. I believe in the restorative love of Jesus. I believe in the continual filling of the Holy Spirit and I believe in the power of us repenting. Remember, not a heavy word. Forgive us our sins, we turn our eyes back to you. So we're going to invite the band up to play. They're going to sing what I've learned today is a controversial song over here. Don't care. On a, I fly home tomorrow, it's fine. 
Okay, you guys, you guys can fight it out when I've left. But I believe in the reckless love of God. I believe in the restorative love of God. If I can just put my, my fight forward for the argument, the reckless love is not God using the word reckless. It's our definition. Because his love is perfect love. Our love is conditional. So when we see people loving us like God loves us, we call it reckless. He just calls it love. So when I finish reading this and give you a brief explanation, I want each of you to stand. I want you to respond in your own personal way. If you want to come, I'm not going to pray for you, but if you come forward, kneel, kneel where you are, put your hands up, sit down. Don't go on Facebook. Um, Do whatever it is you want to do. There was a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years and no one could heal her. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak and immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me, Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding around you and pressing against you. But Jesus said, somebody touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. And the woman, seeing that she had been not gone unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told, why had he touched him? And how she had been instantly healed. Then he said, daughter, go. Your faith is healed with you. Go in peace. Jesus had been invited to go to somebody's home to raise the dead. Jairus' daughter, read the full story when you get home. Jairus' daughter was sick. Everybody thought Jesus was mad for going, but they knew he could raise the dead. Come, if you're there, Jesus, she'll be raised from the dead. That's the main impetus of the story. I've cut out the bit in the middle. Here's a woman whose life was in tatters. I've never been a woman. I don't know what that must be like, but I would liken it to if I was in pain for 12 years, if I was vomiting for 12 years, I would know something that was seriously wrong. 12 years, one, one small step of faith was all she needed to be healed. Her faith made her well. I want you guys to respond. If you want to, you don't have to. If there is a hurt in your life, Jesus can heal you today. If there is something in your life that you are staring at, do you know the most common thing we stare at is our feet? Do you have that metaphor here? It's when you're doing nothing. You're just staring at your feet, completely distracted from the call that God has on your life. I want you to look up from your feet and I want you to look at this. It's a beautiful cross. It's a beautiful message. I remember at seven years old, I wasn't a Christian, remember. I didn't become a Christian until I was 16. I saw Jesus on the cross. It's like I'd been transported to Calvary and I remember crying. I was inconsolable for hours and all I could say to my mum was, I never asked him to, but he did. He died for you so that you could have this moment in time and turn your eyes back to him again and again and again. Maybe you don't feel like there's a pain or any suffering in your life. Still take the opportunity to turn your eyes back to Jesus. Can we do that? Amen.